I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Here we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome back to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek show. It's 2024, and I am Steven, and I'm pleased to say, for some weird reason, I don't know why they're still with me, SP is here this week. Happy New Year! Yep, it's 2024, everybody. We came back. <laughs> you say we were going to come back, and we're back! <laughs> and he also hasn't abandoned me for some weird reason. Chris Farrell. But I have fallen to the dark side, so that is something to consider. <laughs> you are not on the dark side. You are on the light side. Dark side. Because you have a lot more snow than me, and thus it is lighter. That is true. We did get a fair amount of snow today and ice, which is less fun. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, No. We, uh, it can be. We, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to make ice castles, it's good. If you want to go ice skating, it's good. If you want ice for your scotch, it's good. If you want to be Buffalo Bills playing a football event, not so good. I, well, I mean, they want tremendous home field advantage. <laughs> well, okay. Bad for the fans then. Fair enough. I know. <laughs> they were having fun. They Did were, you see all the snowballs flying? They were a bit lubed up, but that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't the worst NFL game for weather. That was the Kansas City one where when they would get a water out of the cooler, it would freeze. It was so cold as soon as they touched it. Listen, listen, the Kansas City game, you know, it's bad when Taylor Swift goes to the window. And as soon as the camera goes to her, she turns around and runs away. <laughs> That's a fair point. You know, when Taylor's not taking the paparazzi's look on her, it's a bad situation. Something about that coat, that that specialized coat. I don't know which one of the other wives uh, did it, but yeah, it was a, that was a pretty cool coat. I want one. Yes, I want one too. And hey, by the way, over this break, we, in our Discord server, I believe, uh, over at gunnageek.com slash Discord, you pointed out that I was ahead of the T-Swift fandom, that if you go way back in the Gunna Geek show archives, you will find that for a long time. The show opened with me saying a T-Swift nod. It wasn't a quote, but it was it was a quote from me about T-Swift. So, hey, I was on the T-Swift train before it was cool. I'll be on the T-Swift train now. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, she she got she single-handedly got me back in the NFL this year because Lord knows my team, if I can call it my team, because I really am a laps fan, sucks. <laughs> yeah they do uh chris i was thinking of you last week by the way before we get into the news i was thinking about i'm you. concerned uh well this is different than my usual evening thinking of you the i mean that's even worse yeah. I i'm more concerned <laughs> no it's actually uh i decided that i was going to um well let me let me set the stage first off a couple weekends ago i was sitting there i'm like you know what i'm caught up with most of my tv and i think I'm going to go and watch some some show, TV shows. So I thought, well, I haven't watched the Marvel What If series yet. 
So I could watch that. And then all of a sudden I had this in inspiration to uh, rewatch uh, the uh, Kenobi series. And, and then I went, which one should I watch? And I went to our Discord and our Discord said, you should watch What If. And after it took me a couple nights to get through one episode because I just kept falling asleep for some reason, I'm not, not knocking on What If, just for some reason I wasn't feeling it. I decided instead to start from the scratch of watching The Rookie. And so I started watching that and I'm I'm almost through season two. And I know you had that on your your list many, many years ago that you used to watch The Rookie. And I so do. I don't know if I, you still do, but don't spoil I enjoy anything little, for me. I enjoy a little Nathan Fillion in my life. And I have to say, I, I was I was quite hooked on it. I, I like a, a crime drama sort of thing every now and then. Uh, I, I got hooked on it in season one. I felt bad that I did not take your advice sooner. However... I will say I'm almost through season two. I think I'm on the last episode of season two. And, and they sure looked like they changed their footing and lost their footing a little bit during the middle of season two. It started to feel a little bit too much cop crime drama. But then I felt like it found some of its its nuance, its its humor towards the end of the season. So uh, I'm powering through that. And uh, I have not gone back to what if yet. So there you go. I thought of you. I haven't either. I need to. You know. I got COVID over the holidays and I thought I can't feel any worse than I feel right now. <laughs> so I decided to go on Netflix and watch like four of the DC EU movies that I haven't seen. And honest to God, I felt worse. I felt worse. <laughs> it, was, it was so bad. So Black Adam, uh, the uh, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, uh, the Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad, the one that I said I would never watch. The James got, Gunn one. Yes. Um, better, still not my cup of tea. So yeah, I watched all that. And then and then I capped it off with icing on the cake. Now watch Foundation. If you guys have not seen Foundation, it is on Apple TV+. Plus. So I realize a lot of people don't have it. But Foundation and... Uh, the, um, uh, the gosh, what was the space one that Ronald D. Moore is doing? Um, ah, I can't remember the name of it, but those two series alone, so worth it. Foundation could be some of the best sci-fi ever. I would bar. have to actually consult a list of the DC movies and probably refresh myself on the plot of them to know whether or not I have, because there's a few that I've just here and there just stumbled across and been like, okay, fine, I'll just watch that. I got a couple hours, but most of them, I think not. So maybe I should at some point without the COVID watch it. I mean, I, I, yeah, I skip think, that part. Yeah. I think, you know, phasing in and out of consciousness actually aided me not feeling even worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first. If you're feeling like crap, you can feel crappier. <laughs> oh, real quick on TV. Then if we're talking about it, do you guys remember the show at midnight that was on comedy central? No. Yes. I, I heard about that. The, uh, the spinoff slash sequel to it starts tonight. As we record this on January 16th, I guess technically tomorrow morning at 1235 AM after midnight, which is basically a resurrection of at midnight hosted by comedian Taylor Tomlinson instead of Chris Hardwick. Now very excited for that one because I really did enjoy at midnight. I don't know anything about that, um, and I I heard about this, and I didn't recognize the name Taylor Tomlinson, but I saw a few clips, and I will check it out. If you get a chance, her stand-up specials on Netflix are absolutely hilarious. Well, I look forward to finding out more about her. 
Just so we don't get a ton of hate mail from our fans, Kent in the chat nailed it. The series that I couldn't remember is called For All Mankind. Ah, there we go. There we go. Hey, I also decided to watch um, uh, the Apple TV series. Uh, oh, man, now I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Ted Lasso? No, the, the just just wrapped up. Um, the, the one... The morning show? With uh, uh, Russell and... Uh, What's his? Oh man, uh, Monarch, Succession? Monarch, Monarch. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I, I, what's the Hector's name? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've heard of he's, the series. He's, he's got a he's got a son. Uh, this is just I'm just selling it here. I'm gonna leave this all in too. This uh, is oh Kurt Russell and Kurt uh, Russell. Wyatt. There we go. Um, Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell. Is his son Wyatt Russell also? Yeah. Or is it different? I can't remember. They're, yeah. So they're both in it. They play the same character in two different time periods. Um, Honestly, can't say, can't give it a glowing recommendation. Kept me going because it was told through a susp- like a mystery type feel. And so they they hooked me into wanting to find out what would happen. But there's a lot of spots that I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty rough acting. <laughs> so can't, can't recommend. But if you want to check it out, go ahead. Worse than my acting? No. All right, let's start with the news here. And that was me playing you off, by the way, SP. Because I thought you were going to earn an Emmy for your acting. (laughs) No, no, no such (laughs) Emmy here. Uh, Posthumously, uh, worst actor ever, worst voice actor ever, possibly. But no, nothing else than that. Anyway, let's talk a little space here. It's been a while since I've been able to talk space. Matter of fact, the last time we recorded was more than two months ago. It was November 13th, 2023. The reason I know this is I had to go back in time and figure out what had happened since that period of time, since, you know, I talk about Starship and what happened at that point in time. Well, when we podcasted last time, the Starship Integrated Flight Test 2 was eminent, but it did not yet go off. So a couple of days after we podcasted, as a matter of fact, five days after we recorded our previous episode, SpaceX did launch the Starship Integrated Flight Tester IFT-2 mission from their Starbase in, get your drinks ready, boys and girls, Boca Chica, Texas. The Starship stack consisted of Booster 9 and Ship 25. The flight had a successful Booster 9 firing for about 2 minutes, 41 seconds. Ship 25 performed a successful hot staging event. First one ever for Starship. I think first one ever for SpaceX. Booster 9 relit after the separation. 9 out of 10 engines but then had multiple engine failures and it was commanded to be destroyed at three minutes, 21 seconds into the flight because the boost back burn was not working and they needed to get rid of the booster before it did destroy more stuff on the way down. Ship 25 continued on, but it also commanded an engine cutoff and termination at eight minutes, five seconds. We learned a little bit more about that just in the last few days. So stay with me. We'll figure out what happened there. The ship 25 destruction was due to its payload. And you're like, SP, I didn't think there was any payload on it. You're right. There wasn't any payload. What they did take up instead was excess liquid oxygen instead of a payload because you need some mass. I mean, the rockets got so much power in order to actually control it 
sufficiently, you have to launch it with some mass, which is why we got Star Starman. Was that what it was with the Falcon Heavy a few years ago? Where is Starman with uh, Elon Musk's Tesla? I believe so. On board. Yeah. That's why we got that because they needed some mass. So he's like, okay, I got a car. Let's launch the car. In this case, they did not launch a car. They launched liquid oxygen. I did not get a really good technical explanation, but the short explanation was they vented the liquid oxygen before they got into orbit and the venting then led to an explosion. So apparently if they change the process and how they vent the liquid oxygen or they don't take liquid oxygen up and they actually take a payload up, it's not going to explode. So and that is interesting. Elon Musk himself on the 12th of January said basically without the liquid oxygen, the as the payload, the rocket, the ship 25 would have made it into orbit. So what were the goals of of what's going on? According to Elon Musk, he wants to launch Starlink version two by the end of 2024. And that, of course, is with Starship. He wants to basically create what he called Moonbase Alpha, but he was really referring to Space 1999. So I guess the Moonbase could have been Alpha in that. It's been a while since I watched that. I did try to watch it, but it got so bad that it stopped. And then in order to sustain a colony on Mars, he needs to launch 1 million pounds to orbit per year, which is a lot, but is within their goals because... They basically launched more in one year than any other country in the world has ever done. They had a total of 96 launches, and he he really sells it at what they did last year, and they're just going to continue to get better in, in terms of pacing for flight, unless they have like a catastrophic event with a Falcon 9 that grounds the entire fleet. So, okay, so 1 million pounds, that's like 10 North Americans, right? No, it's 9. Nine, right. I yeah. forgot yeah. to carry the one. 9.213675. I mean, it's what airlines have to do to, you know, calculate the weight of their planes and stuff <laughs> these days, right? So this is a known factor. Anyway, what were the successes with the IFT2? Let's go back to that. Stage zero, which is the launch equipment, was not destroyed. And the water deluge system performed as advertised. It was brand new, first time used in this flight. The first stage worked up to stage separation. Check. The hot staging was a success. Check. And Ship 25 flight was a success all the way up until termination. So check all the way up into orbit. And it sounds like if they just don't vent the O2, they're going to get orbit next time. So all good, right? Well, the FAA, the day after, I believe, the launch said, a mishap occurred during the SpaceX Starship OFT-2 launch, and they called it OFT, not IFT, launch from Boca Chica, Texas. On Saturday, November 18th, the anomaly resulted in a loss of the vehicle. No injuries or public property damage have been reported. The FAA will oversee the SpaceX-led mishap investigation to ensure SpaceX complies with its FAA-approved mishap investigation plan and other regulatory requirements. All right, that's IFT2. We'll go back to Starship in a second. In the meantime, NASA had a teleconference about the Artemis program on the 9th of January, which is the day before uh, or day after, excuse me, that e no, no, it was three days before Elon spoke. Anyway, they had a teleconference. It's on YouTube. It's available. We'll put the link in the show notes. Artemis 2 is now scheduled for no 
earlier than, so it's not no later than, it's no earlier than September of 2025. So it's not going to be this year. It'll be next year that we go back to the moon. The on-crewed human landing system landing on the moon is now scheduled for 2025. That is the Starship HLS. And it has been known both in this teleconference and in Elon Musk's statement that it will take at least 10 refueling flights are necessary to get one HLS to lunar orbit. So that's 11 launches for Starship in order to get one Starship ship to lunar orbit. uh, Seems a little daunting until you look at the pace of actual launches from Falcon and Falcon Heavy this last year. So it's conceivable, it's doable. I don't know what time frame that's doable in, but it's what we're going for right now because we don't have another option. So Artemis 3 is scheduled, and that's the actual landing on the moon for people again. It is scheduled for no earlier than September 2026. So all this can slide to the right, but right now to get a person back on the moon will be September 2026, which is two and a half years from today. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't isn't Suncast on the moon base right now, or is he in the uh, Jupiter base? Yeah, but he didn't get there with Starship. He got there on hopes and dreams. I thought he used a choppy eye. There were some tears involved, too, I think. Come on. Nobody's going to give me credit for speaking in gold. That was that, was, that, that was impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> <That was, yeah. laughs> so what are the cause of the delays? So everybody wanted to know. I mean, the press Money. was... was huh? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's always the answer, right? Stick enough money in there and you can speed anything up, right? Uh, but there's uh, a, a point of like diminishing returns there. Anyway, the cause of the delays is when they did the Artemis 1 mission, when the Orion capsule did a skip re-entry back into Earth, there was some unwanted erosion of its heat shield. Now, this would have been mitigated with actual humans not doing a skip re-entry, but because it is a noted deficiency from the flight, they need to study it, find out what happened, and find out how to prevent it from happening. They kept saying during the teleconference that astronaut safety is our number one concern. And because of that, they're not going to just race to the moon and back they're going to do it safely so the heat shield was one there was some valve circuitry which in the life support system they they needed to go over again in orion and apparently its electrical system needs to be beefed up because its launch abort system might run out of power if it actually had to do an abort and it's not like we haven't seen an abort it wasn't done by nasa or SpaceX. It was done by Blue Origin, remember, with the New Shepard uh, abort sequence that happened a year and a half ago or so. So this can happen. So they just want to make sure that no astronauts are harmed and that the Orion capsule has enough power, electrical power to power everything it needs to to command it to do different things at different points, parts of time. As a tertiary, secondary, whatever Thing out of the teleconference, it was mentioned that the UAE, that's the country, the United Arab Emirates, is now making part of the gateway. It'll be a docking ring that goes on the gateway. And the gateway is going to be the space station that orbits the moon. Russia was going to make it. Now the UAE is making it. And now because of that, they will have access to put one of their, I don't know what they call it over there, and I'm sorry, astronaut, for lack of a better term, on the moon. I actually providing this technology. 
So that was important information from the teleconference. Now let's get on to IFT3, which might or might happen before we record again. The, I, the FCC is expected to approve a launch sometime in February 2024. I am looking into the possibility of attending this one. I might have to support it from my unit, from my location, but we'll see. I would very much like to see this one in person. Booster 10 and Ship 28 will comprise the stack. The launch site improvements are ongoing. They were just taking some of the old water tanks down and demolishing them with surprising speed, actually. And what they're planning on doing with the IFT-3 is doing a cryogenic propellant transfer on orbit demonstration test. This is to prove that it is possible to transfer fuel in zero G so that they can go ahead and do like a, a real live transfer, you know, put actually two starships up there and try to do a transfer up on orbit eventually, because that's what they're going to have to do to get the human landing system to the moon. They're also going to demonstrate the payload bays. We won't be taking any actual satellites up with them, but Starship will be used to launch payloads into orbit and uh, Starlink satellites, the version two Starlink satellites. The only launch vehicle that can take them is Starship. So this is important for their future there. As for the HLS, I mentioned before about their landing on the moon in 2025, they're going to have to do an on-crewed flight test as well in early 2025. And then the Dear Moon, you guys remember the Dear Moon mission? You remember what I'm talking about when I say Dear Moon? Yeah, that was where they were going to put a deer on the moon. That it's is absolutely we wrote, correct. We wrote letters, Dear Moon, please don't crash into us unless it's Stephen's house. Yeah, and uh, uh, please don't spray your cheese everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I do like cheese. Yeah. wonder what yeah. lunar cheese tastes like. I thought it was Swiss. Ooh, I like Swiss cheese. It is yeah. holy. Uh, the moon's holy. It is. Yeah. Well, I thought it was more of like blue cheese. This is blue moon. Yeah. Blue cheese is gross. It is gross. It yeah. depends on what time of the year. Anyway, it, the Dear Moon <laughs> mission was SpaceX's mission to actually put people in orbit around the moon in a starship. The uh, 10 or so people were just civilians. None of them were astronauts or anything. And uh, a fellow YouTuber, and I say fellow very lightly there because while we're streaming on YouTube, I don't really consider us YouTuber, but we are on YouTube. So maybe we can consider ourselves YouTube. Disagree anyway. with your assessment. You, you say fellow YouTuber because in all reality, we're way up here and they're <laughs> way down here. We're looking down at <laughs> we're looking down at everyday astronaut, right? <laughs> anyway, everyday astronaut is part of that crew, and they're planning on going up. It was originally supposed to be, I believe, this year, and then it got pushed back to 2025. I don't know when it's going to happen. There was no update to that mission. Anyway, that was a lot. Thanks for sticking with us, sticking with me throughout the whole thing. Do you guys have any questions or smart alecky comments? I, I like both. I have a question. Well, okay. it might be a smart alecky comment. Uh, oh, okay. You're talking about safety and how safety is so important. Can I ask, why hasn't SpaceX yet consulted with Boeing to make sure that everything is safe? There are a lot of Boeing safety experts out there. Um, whether or not they're listened to, I, 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 I don't know. That, you know. Boeing seems to have a flawless track record with everything flawless. right now. Flawless. Makes you want to fly in a 737 <laughs> and a 777 right now, right today, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was simple i was i was gonna make a smart ass remark there and then i just realized no there, there's no need just no 
Yeah. So for those that don't remember the MH370, the Malaysian aircraft that went down somewhere in the Indian Ocean, uh, that was Aliens. a triple seven. <laughs> there were a couple other incidents with triple sevens around that time with cockpit fires due to wiring. And then, of course, lately, what Steven's referring to is the attempt to finally kill him by Boeing <laughs> ejecting a door that was supposed to be bolted on. This is not a, an escape hatch. It was a door that was bolted on to the side, or I should say lack of being bolted on to the side of the aircraft <laughs> was ejected over Oregon. I mean, they got so close. Just yeah. a couple of, you know, you got Washington and then Canada's right above there. So they got really close, but they didn't get you yet. Not yet. Hopefully soon. I mean, we're just sighting you in. We'll get there eventually. Closer and closer by the day. We're going to send lunar cheese down to your home <laughs> in the express manner. Perfect. Well, thank you for updating us on all that SP. Do greatly appreciate that. And we look forward to you telling us all about the next series of delays. Uh... <laughs> editorialized there, there's, there's that smart alecky comment i love it i love it and what's even better it's it's true <laughs> all right let me tell you take you down the the first of a few apple rabbit holes to this show uh if you didn't know this apple makes smartphones i know this might be mind-blowing <gasps> mind for some of the audience out there but yes apple has made smartphones for a year or two now and they are Finally, in the global lead. That's right. The International Data Corporation, known as the IDC, has put out information saying that for the first time ever, Apple has dethroned Samsung as the number one person, the lead, in global sh shipments of smartphones. I almost said something bad there. That's right. For a long time, Samsung has held the number one spot worldwide, and Apple has had an increase and have finally leaped over Samsung. So you're saying, wow, this means that Apple is now the, the iOS is, is the global leader in the smartphone market. Well, no, not, not quite that. And I'm not taking away from Apple here by any stretch of the imagination because it is quite the feat of what they've done. You have to remember that this is Apple versus a series of other manufacturers. So Apple basically saw a 3.7% market share increase, and Samsung saw a 13.6% market share decrease. So Apple had 20.3% of global smartphone market share in 2023 compared to Samsung's 19.4%. So there's a whole bunch of other manufacturers involved in there, and you got to remember all that. And the thing is, um, apparently, Samsung's decrease is actually partly because of an increase in other Android manufacturers, such as Google, chipping away at Samsung's powerful grip that they've had for a very, very long time. And they have. They've, they've really dominated for a long time as far as, you know, worldwide Android, obviously, I guess, in general, smartphone, number one spot, um, uh, holding that number one ranking. But that, again, not to take away from Apple, because, you know, for a long time, Apple was seeing a decrease and now they've been working their way back up. And this is this is good for Apple. And I want to know what your guys' theories are on this. I have a theory that this is a projection of all the other things Apple has been doing right in the Apple ecosystem. And, and, you know, it's just becoming more and more appealing for people to have 
the all-in-one solution. And, you know, there's a, a large generation, which was art, that is now getting pushed out by a younger generation, which is more familiar with Apple. For a long time, we grew up with Windows computers. You have to be in Windows in order to, to do this, to, to be in the workforce. You know, you, you, Windows was the king of all of these things. And, and we're seeing the shuffle happen, and we're seeing more and more people not need as much out of their you know, PC life and their other, their non-phone life. And so when they do these things, they're looking for the harmonized approach. And Apple is the only one that offers that. And so that's my theory on, on why they're continuing to grow after for a long time seeing a decline is they're doing a lot right for the Apple ecosystem, that, that uniformity. That's my theory. I think that's a fair theory. I think there's also a good theory that you know other android makers have been stepping up their game and there's some actually really cool alternatives especially if we go and look at foldables out there like samsung was first to the game with foldables for instance and they've done a real good job with it but now they've got competition as there's a variety of folks making foldables like for instance the motorola ones both cool and cheaper than am than not amazon uh, samsung's so i think there's some competition amongst android developers that make it so that they're beating themselves up while Apple's numbers are also growing. I mean, let's be honest here. Samsung, still a big deal, will likely to continue to be. What is honestly going to be really interesting from an Apple point of view is when slash if the Apple foldable is created and how that compares to what's out there now. Because I fully admit, I was a foldable skeptic at first because I didn't think they'd ever be able to get the price point to a place that was reasonable. But we're starting to see that now. Not with the flagship foldables, mind you, but we're getting to a point where the flagships might be reasonably priced. And that's going to be the next interesting evolution of smartphone. And I think that's going to be very interesting from an Apple perspective to see how they combat other foldables out there and what makes it uniquely Apple when they put theirs out. Are there any rumors on an Apple foldable? Like, yeah, solidly there, there though? Are. I, like I, solidly. I was gonna, yes. Uh, so the iPad mini is projected to be disappearing this year from the lineup, and it is to be replaced by a foldable that when it's closed would be the size of a mini, and when it opens up is the size of a full iPad. The reason why I ask that is because to Apple's credit, they usually hold back until the technology is right. We saw that with wearables. We've seen that with other things. And I feel like foldables are still a little bit away from being able to mitigate the complaint factor because the iPad mini is the perfect way for them to enter into this market. It's the size that it, I have an iPhone pro max right in my hand right here. The iPad mini is not that much bigger, although it is. And I, I do like the size of the iPad mini. Matter of fact, I got one right here. You guys are always impressed about how I often have everything around. So here's an iPad mini. It's got the thing closed because my security cams are on, you know, on, on it and I don't want it. And here is uh, the iPad and uh, my kids there, the, the uh, iPhone. So it's not that much bigger. So the iPad mini has been relegated to, eh, I don't know if it's really a marketable for us right now. So we know that there's a market out there for those that like the mini size. So let's go ahead and let's experiment and let's put a foldable out that is iPad mini size. So the people that are in need of a tech refresh for the iPad mini size 
will have to go for it. And then the people that want a foldable will go for it as well. So there is a timing factor here with technology refresh because the last iPad mini was the iPad mini six, and I think it's three or four years old. So you're getting to the point with those that do have iPad minis and use them for work. A lot of women like the iPad mini because it's really cool to fit in your purse. You know, it's reader size versus full tablet size. So there is a market. The price point is going to be the issue. So Apple's going to take a gamble here and they're going to throw the foldable out on the table and they're going to see if it sticks or not. If it does stick, then they will have the ability to go forward with some new technology, whereas it's not tied to a phone line and it's not tied to a full tablet line. I I don't. The foldable tablet, at least to me, doesn't have as much appeal because my tablet is a separate thing from my cell phone and my workflow on things. But having a phone that I can unfold into a larger display when I'm out and about, that's something I find more interesting. And I think that's why foldable phones have been something that's interesting to me. But it's really going to be a matter of when slash if Apple puts their foldable out, what's the price point? Because we've seen All of these Android vendors who've done foldables, their first gen foldable product, it's not greatly priced for people who are just hobbyists. It's great for the tech reviewers and for people that don't mind dropping two grand on a phone. That's fine. But for your traditional user asking for two grand for a foldable phone, like, oh, hell no, I don't need that. I think that's going to be one of the interesting things coming out. And Kent actually brings up an interesting point is the real question is, when do we get the flexible screens? Mm. We've seen some of those things at CES. We've seen it with OLED things where there's some phones before where you literally just pull two sticks apart, basically, and it's a screen. Now, those are also CES demos. That doesn't mean they're coming anytime <laughs> soon. But I think that is honestly the really cool eventual evolution of the foldable is into something like that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I, I do think Apple usually does put the brakes on something until the bugs are resolved. And there still continues to be some foldable folding problems, you know, not taking a certain amount of force and all that stuff. And and I just don't see Apple putting out a product that where if the customer is used to ho- using their phone a certain way, if they're going to do that with a foldable, it's going to break. I don't see them doing that. I, I, I So I'd be really curious to see what Apple puts forward. Yeah, foldables fascinate me. If And I'll, I'll give a plug to a guy that doesn't need it here. But if uh, <laughs> Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher on YouTube, he is very fixated on foldable phones and things like that. He rotates them in and out of his lineup all the time, and he has an ongoing series of all of his experiences with different vendors and stuff like that and his different use cases and makes a compelling case for eventually they'll get to a point for mass adoption. But right now it's a niche thing that he really enjoys. But he sees the future as foldables for many people, not all people, mind you. First of all, Stephen, just remember you're holding it wrong. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) And second of all, one of the reasons why Apple has been not dominating, but at the head of the class for a while is because they choose the colors of their phones that everybody likes more so than other manufacturers. Mm, Fair enough. That was supposed to be a joke. Anyway, (laughs) the the real reason that I think that they are still at, at the top of the heap is because their stuff works. It is reliable for the most part, unless you're holding it wrong, right? And the iOS is actually supported for a very long time, whereas other phones, specifically in the Android line, might not be supported as long. So if you're looking for a phone, you're like, 
okay, maybe I'll hang on to this for three to five years. You're going to know that Apple is going to support the iOS for that for three to five years, whereas Android, it gets a little sketchy about the three, four year mark. Well, I mean, Google and Samsung and all the major vendors are all doing five years worth of security updates and what three to five years worth of OS updates and all of them now. So that that gap has been narrowed. It's just it doesn't get talked about a lot. No, and and that's always the problem with comparing to Android is is there's the the whole scope of different manufacturers that are out there, and some of them are garbage. Yeah, what you get, what you get on your phone is the only update you're ever gonna get. So if you yes, so you know there are some like that. So you know there's the array, and I think that you know we're just gonna continue to see this happen. And you know, like look at Chris, he's he's on a uh, Apple ecosystem now aside from his phone so you know i think apple's been doing a lot right to their credit what what's going to bring it back to be the number one like by far like over 50 percent in the uh, apple iphone 16 i believe is the next one and going back to the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack uh let's move on to the next news point hey ai yeah so let's talk ai and we've talked before about the uh, murky ethical nature of using AI to replace actors and artists and things like that in movies. Uh, some specific examples where we could argue ethical uses are as what we've seen in some of the Star Wars things with the resurrection of Peter Cushing as an AI uh, creature, for lack of a better term. Uh, Carrie Fisher reprising her role as Princess Leia after her passing. Why I say those are ethical is because the family's permission was obtained and granted for them to be able to use those AI models of those characters. Let's get into the less than ethical ones. Hey, you guys know the comedian George Carlin, right? Legendary. Yeah, we should probably do some of his famous comedy on here right now. <laughs> yeah, let's do some of his famous <laughs> comedy. Uh, joking aside, George Carlin's been dead since 2008. He's been gone for a fairly long time. So imagine my Actually, surprise. I want to change my joke. Yeah, he's the guy from Shining Time Station, right? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So he's been dead since 2008. Imagine my surprise when this weekend I saw, wait, there's a new comedy special from George Carlin coming out? How the hell is this happening? So yes, there is a new comedy special called George Carlin, I'm Glad I'm Dead. Using AI replica of George Carlin to crack jokes about mass shootings, farts, and the eventual death of stand-up comedy. It has actually nothing to do with George Carlin and his family or anything like that. And how do we know? Because Carlin's daughter, Kelly, took to Twitter to then denounce the special as it came out. And I'm just going whoa, to read whoa, the three. There's a time machine where she was able to go back to the days of Twitter. Is that what you said? <laughs> I'm not going down this rabbit hole. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter because that's what I do. I'm I'm contrary. So I will <laughs> go and read her three tweets because that's the best way to sum it up is her natural thoughts and the fact that they're using AI to resurrect her father to do comedy that will never be at the level of what George Carlin could perform because no computer can replicate his comedy. That's my own personal editorialized moment there. But here's Kelly Carlin's statement. My statement regarding the AI-generated George Carlin special. My dad spent a lifetime perfecting his craft from his very human life, brain, and imagination. No machine will ever replace his genius. These AI-generated products are clever attempts at trying to create a mind that will never exist again. Let's let the artist's work speak for itself. Humans are so afraid of the void that we can't let what has fallen into it stay there. Here's an idea. How about we give some actual living human comedians a listen to? 
But if you want to go listen to a genuine George Carlin, he has 14 specials you can find anywhere. So what's going on with this? What's the background? This new special was engineered by Will Sasso, who you might know from Mad TV and novelist Chad Kultkin. They run a podcast called Dudesy, and they released a, excuse me, and on this podcast is written by a comedy AI tool that writes material for them to showcase on their YouTube show. They have since posted this special on YouTube. You could go watch it for yourself if you want, but it seems fairly gross because Kelly Carlin made a point of saying the family never gave permission for George Carlin's likeness, voice, jokes, anything like that to be used in an AI-based special. She has stated she's trying to explore her legal options, but something to keep in mind is since AI is going and advancing so rapidly, there's not actually any case law that establishes boundaries right now. So she has reached out to folks like Zelda Williams, Robin Williams' daughter, who has spoken out about the AI use of artists to say, don't ever recreate my father. That's not something he would want. And also to Melissa Rivers, the daughter of Joan Rivers, where you've also had similar folks that have been talking about, oh, well, we can just continue her comedy through AI. No, she's reaching out to those folks right now to kind of say, we need to talk. They're coming for you next. And this whole thing just feels gross to me. They're just exploiting AI tools to create comedy, to trick people into thinking it's George Carlin. This is certainly not the ethical use of it. And yes, I, I sort of linked the House of Mouse to ethical here and how they've used things. But remember, they secured the rights from the families to do everything they've done. They secured the rights with James Earl Jones to use AI to continue to recreate Darth Vader's voice in perpetuity because he and his family signed off on it. Those, while may feel weird because they're not actually those people, I would argue it's okay because the family has signed off and is being compensated. This use of AI to make an unauthorized, for lack of a better term, AI clone of George Carlin to push your own comedy out there that's not his, this just feels wrong. And I don't know how we stop it. I don't know how we get ahead of it other than just people need to speak with their voice on the internet or by not viewing the video, because if they get clicks, they'll keep doing it. I don't like this development. I'm very uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, like with the technology there, the, the box is open. We're never going to get away from it. And no matter what you do legally and everything, there's always going to be areas around the world where that's not going to matter. But that's the, always been the case with anything bootleg, anything anything that's strictly control in in you know many western worlds and stuff but i think that one of the first steps needs to be some some broad across you know many important key countries and and places of the world legal ramifications when when people use ai and and it's got to be strict and it's got to be you know almost life damaging to the people who are doing it otherwise it's never going to sink in right like you know if, if it's it's loosely ever you know le if legal action takes a lot or people don't feel the threat it's just going to keep happening over and over but if you know like anything i think if, if you've got some some threats against you you're going to think twice about it but the other aspect of it is i think there's existing laws that are going to come into play because then you're going to have like the parody defenses and all these other things. And, and, you know, before it was like, oh, you've got these uh, adult parodies. Well, that's clearly not the actor. So, you know, it's not damaging to them. 
but then you've got like, you know, AI driven adult content now. And so maybe there is parody law there, but then you have to have the other side of it where it's like the AI laws or whatever. So I think we're, we're a long time away from getting this solved. And this is an example of, unfortunately, the problems that are going to exist until those those solutions come to be. We have an early framework for some protections in there, because remember, part of the actor's strike was about concerns of using AI to replace actors. Or remember, there were the instances of extras that did a bit and they're like, hey, we're going to 3D scan you and then use your 3D image in perpetuity. Some of what the strike was about was protecting actors in that regard. So we sort of have some guardrails coming in place for things from a point forward, but we don't necessarily have anything in place right now for protection of past actors, artists, comedians, musicians, things like that. And I don't know the right way to do it other than to try and legislate it. But do you really, and this is not me getting political, but do we trust that the technology is understood enough by those that would attempt to legislate it, that they would be able to put the right guardrails on it? I'm not, I'm not getting political. I promise. <laughs> it's valid. I, and that's not my intent. <laughs> I got a question, a follow-up question for you there, Chris. So if something is in the public domain, so, you know, whatever that is, 25 years, 70 years, 90 years, I forget what it is for copyright protection law, but if it's public domain, I think it's okay to use it for AI purposes. I don't know. That becomes more the moral question then is if you use public domain footage of, let's say, arbitrarily Stephen John Drew to create Stephen John Drew AI saying things. Is it might be legal, but is it ethical? Well, and there's a difference between public domain. This is my understanding with the whole Mickey Mouse thing recently is it may I'm not a lawyer, so I didn't take this legal advice is there are very strict public domain laws. So it's like this version of the thing. So then is AI a different version of the public thing? And then also we're talking public thing, not public people. So I think that the whole people factor comes into play. If it's a performance though, and not, not you're not representing the person you're representing their character in their latest, in their last work. But Let's it still Robin. wears that person's face. So yeah. that's where the moral issue comes into. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Um, I was going to bring this up anyway. Robin Williams was on your list because they Zelda Williams and Melissa Rivers were tagged there. I love Robin Williams. There's a bunch of stuff that he's done over his lifetime that is just amazing, both in the dramatic and the comedy spectrum. I would love to be on a podcast with Robin Williams. Unfortunately, he passed away about 10 years ago. He's not coming back. There's no way to get him as a guest on the podcast or to co-host podcast with him or anything like that. The only way to do that now is to work in with AI. I, I would love to do that. And it's just not going to happen. Now, his death was 10 years ago. At the earliest, I'd be able to replicate any, any of his works or him himself would be 25 years, I think. Again, not lawyers. I, I don't remember the exact copyright protections. It's as much as 90 years. It, it depends on things, I guess. But if it's 25 years, 15 years out, that could be in my lifetime. And that that's interesting. And then for, from my perspective, I mean, how many, Chris, you brought this up on your All Things Good and Nerdy podcast that you guys have over 500 hours of you guys talking. Yeah. So At there's least. over 500 hours of you guys saying stuff, of your likeness, of your aging over time. 
and um, you know, my beard going grayer over here. But from your podcast perspective and what you said, there's a lot out there for a lot of people that are social media influencers, that are YouTubers, that are podcasters, that they're they can be used. Matter of fact, Stephen, both you and uh, Waffles have used my voice in try. I think it was Eleven Labs and trying to create a voice of me when I verbally gave you both permission say go for it go ahead as long as you don't show me in a disparaging way and and you both did it and uh that's okay because i gave you permission but 50 years from now i'm not going to be around to give my permission so i don't that's going to the legalities are going to come up and they're going to come up pretty quick uh, forrest gump right you had the scenes of forrest gump acting with historical figures now you throw in AI and those scenes become much more interactive. You're not just going off of historical footage. You're actually creating new footage for works like that. And I think a, a fictional work, which is why the strike was so important, like Forrest Gump that is done in the future, I think that's really going to set the legal precedents and the contracts that are set between uh, the unions and the studios are really going to be what's set forward here. And then, of course, you're going to have legal action, private legal action of, I, I don't approve of this, whether it's family members, whether it's uh, uh, studios or, you know, um, it, you go into songs, right, with Prince and with other people that have, like Taylor Swift, having to re-record her songs in order to get paid. So that's all part of this. We might be getting towards some of that sooner than later. There, there's been some instances. So, for instance, there's a YouTuber out there, and I'm not going to get into any specifics on this YouTuber, but they make Star Wars content. And they like to make fan videos and stuff. This is a fairly controversial creator. And one of the things they did was put a deep fake AI Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker in there. Mm. And this person who is a creator is problematic at times. Let's just put it that way. And someone asked Mark Campbell, did you give permission? And his only answer at this point has just been a one word. No. And this is where you're going to start seeing things here is people that are doing their independent projects and they want to do like a fan film or yeah. something like that, or a fan audio production that start to do these things. This gets us into the point of, you know, if I were Mark Hamill and someone were using my likeness like that without my authorization, I would not be comfortable with it. Now, there's a difference between a semantic difference, at least and a moral difference between making a fan film. That's just for fun versus if someone created a fake Mark Hamill to be in their commercial and say, endorse them as a lawyer or something like that. I mean, if they want to take on somebody that is both the joke Joker and the trickster, <laughs> their lives are in their own hands. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. This is the wild West right now is what we're getting into. Yeah, and I agree. Th this is a good example of, the, the George Carlin instance, this just feels gross. And I, I don't know how you spin it as a good thing that someone is trying to profit off of his name, image, and likeness when he's been dead for over a decade at this point in time. And you know, George Carlin, if you've watched his stand-up or any of his interviews, would hate the ever-living hell out of the idea of an AI version of him performing comedy that's probably nowhere near as smart as George Carlin's actual comedy. Yeah, I think, you know, as as we work through this a little more, I, I do think like the lack of what, what I don't know if it's legal threats or money threats or what it, what it is. I think that that's a big variable right now because there isn't at the moment any 
any reason for people to be worried about this. But like, if you and I were like, hey, you know what? Let's play some Taylor Swift music on this podcast. We know there's a there's a there could potentially be a financial ramification that we have to pay for that down the road. Dude, I'm just going to shake it off. Fair enough. I'll do what I want. Fair enough. But <laughs> but at the moment, if we want to go and make AI AI Suncast, since he's in our chat, AI Suncast, there's not a lot of legal threat right now at the moment from him. So if there was, you know, different situations. So I, I think that, and I would never do that because I, I'm 100% on the moral train on this. Well, 99%. Uh, there's uh, 1% for AISP. But, but, Fair. <laughs> but I think that, you know, it is the Wild West. I think you said it best. Honestly, what's going to drive this train isn't going to be actors, artists, or anything like that. It's going to be when AI crap is used, negative campaigning in politics, I think. That's okay. when... We're or probably to, a few weeks away from yeah, that. Yeah. Or to attribute something to person X that they never said that is used in a negative ad. And then you have to prove it. That's Stuff already like that. happened. That happened in the last campaign. It happened just a week ago with President yeah. Biden. Oh, but oh, that's not the topic we need to have here for. <laughs> okay. No, it, it, can I just for a second part. here say Suncast in the chat says, first off, let's make this clear. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do AI Suncast. But in the chat, Suncast says you do not have permission to create an AI Suncast. This will be the next thing that people are going to be doing out there, like the Facebook. You you do not have permission for Facebook, you know, the, the thing that people post to Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I hope they do give legal, you know, I hope there's legal recourse for these people. But anyways. That way I read that statement is you do have permission to create <laughs> no, no. an AI Suncast. Steven doesn't have permission, but he yeah. didn't say that SP and I don't have but permission. What's the definition of you? What happens yeah. when AI Suncast gives me permission? <laughs> Mind blown. I think Ouroboros. you just made my brain throw a rod here. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to a couple quick last three news points. We'll get through these quickly here. First off, Galileo, Galileo. Oh, we're going to get sued right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was just, you know, strolling the Internet and I ran into this. And this is a new story legitimately because the announcement came since we recorded last time. But the original shuttlecraft Galileo from Star Trek, the original series was completely redone in 2013. And it has been on display several different places, but nobody nowhere permanently. It was first unveiled at the Houston Space Center. And then it moved to the Intrepid Air and Space Museum in New York City. And it is now on its way to Ticonderoga, New York. I probably pronounced that incorrectly. Ticonderoga, whatever. It's north of Albany. And there is a Star Trek set museum where somebody has taken over what I think is an old auto zone just by the looks of it. I, I could be completely wrong there, but it looks like an old auto zone. And they have put in replicas of the sets from the original series in there. So you're talking hallways, transporter room, engine room, bridge, that sort of thing from the Starship Enterprise. There was an announcement that came out, I believe, December 22nd that said that they are going to make a set that is the shuttlecraft bay from the enterprise. And they're going to put this shuttlecraft Galileo in it. Now, I think we might've even covered this before shuttlecraft Galileo's restoration long, long time ago on this show. And just keep in mind, this is not something that was meant to last 
more than the recording of an episode. So it had been out of the studio for many, many years. It had sat out in somebody's garden in LA. It sat in somebody's barn in Ohio for decades and it had degraded and it was made of wood and, you know, plywood and just cheap stuff that degraded over time. So some of the original parts had to be completely replaced, but it is in the state that you would have seen it on the set way back in the late 60s when it was actually filming the episode Galileo 7. And it is going to be on display. There's no date given, but it is going to be on display in New York permanently. So if you wanted to see a piece of history that was actually used in the filming of Star Trek, the original series, the shuttlecraft Galileo, it will be on permanent display in New York. I thought that was pretty neat. I didn't That's get a neat. chance to see it anywhere else, but I think this is really neat. And if you haven't watched the video of the restoration or the um, the story of the restoration, it wasn't they didn't it wasn't a how to thing like a lot of YouTube channels are right now. It was more of this is what we had to do to make it happen. That is available on YouTube for you to watch. It's like twenty minutes or something like that. It was pretty cool. Wow, I found an article talking about restoration from uh, 2013. So yeah, there's probably a good chance we did talk about Galileo along the way. I'm thinking, I think JS might have brought it up or something. It's sticks in my brain. We've also talked about like the bridge restoration efforts they did too for the original set of the Enterprise D and things like that. That's one of the really cool things we're seeing is people saving these props and sets that were never really intended to be used again and giving them new lights life excuse me so that fans can go experience them did you say that fans are getting lice from the galileo is that what you said they might, I might have i might have stuttered my way into saying something like that thank you <laughs> no Th- thanks for pointing out my stutter steven uh, jeez it wasn't me it was uh, ai steven. how a- how ableist of you <laughs> <laughs> hashtag steven's been canceled uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh hashtag cancel steven <laughs> All right. So this is actually a cool story. Thanks for bringing it up. And I love the fact that we are getting more and more stuff in museums from the past of Trek. Very cool. Well, museums with asterisks. There's a few out there, too, for different props and stuff. Yeah. Again, nothing in here is screen and nothing in that museum is screen use. It's just replicas. And they're very, very uh, uh, open about it. What's there? today is just replicas painstakingly made replicas but replicas of the sets from the original series it counts it counts all right who wants their new apple cash back card who wants that i'll take three please (laughs) if you didn't know this apple is finally settling battery gate because you know we got to throw gate on everything. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, way back when, Apple users back in 2017 started to notice that their iPhones were getting a little slow and batteries were draining quickly. Guess what? That, that concern was absolutely bang on because Apple did admit in that era that the iOS software had, been, had basically slowed down the performance of older iPhones and that there was a reason for the slowdown that they were doing. They were saying the lithium-ion batteries in the older phones had aged, and they didn't hold the charge as long, and they could uh, unexpectedly slow down. So the software, in turn, purposely slowed the performance to stop this from happening, but they did it all without telling people. And so with this lack of transparency and all these other 
hubbub that happened after that point. There's been a lot of legal action that's been pending. And yet the settlements are now coming out. If you are an American, I believe that has started in other parts of the world. I'm not sure. I Googled today. It looks like Canada's might still be a little bit delayed. But according to this article that I read, Apple has agreed to pay a minimum of $310 million and a maximum of $500 million to settle this lawsuit. And so there are devices that you may be eligible for if you had an iPhone 6, a 6 Plus, a 6S, a 6S Plus, or an SE, the original SE. You might be eligible if you were running iOS 12.2.1 or later, or uh, the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus if they're running iOS 11.2 or later before December 21st, 2017. So check that out. You might be eligible for some free money. I know that one person that we know has already got their Apple Cash back card. Congratulations, JS. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, in the mail today, I received three checks. They were $92 and change each. So that apparently is the amount that are being given out to Americans. And in our Discord server, that amount was confirmed by at least one, if not two other Discord server members. So almost $93 per phone. If you had something that qualified, I remember putting this in way back in the day thinking, I'm not going to get anything, you know, close to 300 bucks. That's, you know, years and years after I stopped using these things. Oh, stop in quotes using them. Yes. <laughs> um, they, they to get 300 bucks back is that's something. And I think it had something to do with like if you had a battery replacement or something, mm. if you paid the $50 for a battery replacement. So I, I'll take the money now. And I, I recognized what was happening at the time. I did have an iPhone six that bricked itself because the battery blew up on the inside. So there were legitimate concerns on these batteries. Uh, so I get that, but yeah, getting the money, uh, I'll take it and, uh, that'll help me pay off Christmas. <laughs> there you go. And Chris, you wanted to talk something else, Apple, right? Yeah. I was going to talk this one real quick is this happened Near the end of the year, I'd only paid half attention to it, but uh, the Apple Watch Series 9 and Watch Ultra 2 were banned for sale in the United States last year. I'd eventually, or I'd seen some articles on various tech blogs and stuff. I was like, hey, now's your last chance to go and buy these phones before they're banned. But the International Trade Commission had ruled that the blood oxygen sensors on both those devices infringed on patents from a company called Massimo. Now, Apple has scrambled to make changes to these watches in an attempt to avoid those patents, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection was tasked with determining whether the proposed changes were enough. According to a letter from Massimo's attorneys, all parties have now agreed on a plan to remove this feature from Apple Watch Series 9 and Watch Ultra 2. Bloomberg's reporting that modified watches have already been shipped to Apple retail stores. Stores have not been instructed to begin selling them until corporate officially says they can so in order to get around this patent issue, Apple has manufactured Watch Series 9 and Watch Ultra 2 without the blood oxygen sensors. There are devices out there right now that do arguably infringe upon those patents that are available for sale. Nobody knows if part of this negotiation is that Apple's going to have to disable those sensors on the watches that people have bought already. Now, 
if I were someone who's bought a watch like that with that capability and you removed it from me after the fact, I think Apple might have to send some checks out again like they just did is more <laughs> why I was bringing this up. <laughs> yeah, I got me my Apple Watch 9 right here. I was paying attention to the tech news in December and I heard about it and I was rocking an Apple Watch 6 for a while. So I thought oh, the battery's getting a little long in the tooth and if I want to continue watching this, uh, wearing this and I wear it for health reasons, I wear it to monitor my health heart rate in case I ever feel like I have chest pains or something I can check for arrhythmia. It is not a health advice. It is not a, um, a certified health ad device, but it would give me indications on whether or not I really should call an ambulance or go to an emergency room. And so I heard about this. And I was like, uh, I don't want a modified phone. I want everything it has or a watch. Chris, you said phone a couple of times. Too. Oh, did so I? It, My it, apologies. It is, it is Apple Watch. So I don't want a modified one. I want the actual one with everything on it. So I uh, went out and bought a nine uh, that was on sale after the, the Christmas holiday this year. And I've been holding it up for the camera for the audio only listeners. It is um, it is not much different from the six other than the battery lasts all day, whereas the other one didn't. And uh, I'm glad I have one. I'm glad I bought it. I will be a little teed if my blood oxygen sensor is disabled a uh, little i'm I legit i'm curious here would it be enough that you would be like i wouldn't have bought this watch if i knew you were going to remove the capability from it i would have waited a year because okay. for what i understand they're looking into alternative technology to put right. in the next generation of watch and i don't know when that's going to be it could be a couple of years before they get all that ready right because the the pipeline of of, of the uh, supply chain takes a while so I would have waited. My six was working, still works. I do wear my six at night. So again, I wear these for health reasons, even though it kind of hurts me because of a nervous system condition I have. I wear it at night. So if I wake up in the middle of the night and my heart hurts or my chest hurts or whatever, I can quick look at my watch and see if my arrhythmia is doing okay. Both the six, seven, eight, and nine do the same thing. So uh, yeah, I would be a little bit teed if if anything was taken away from okay. him, but at least it's only the blood oxygen sensor. And I have other means to do that because, you know, like with everybody with COVID, I bought one to put on my finger. So at least yeah. I have that. So, so to be fair, we don't know what Apple is or isn't going to do with the existing watch nines and devices that are out there that have the blood oxygen sensor that infringes that patent. So this is idle speculation we're making here as to whether that deal might include disabling that. Would I be shocked? If that was the case, I wouldn't be. And let's be honest, if I'm Apple and I'm putting out two different hardware revisions, one that has the sensor and one that doesn't, it's eventually become a pain in the butt to ma to maintain two different builds, for lack of a better term, I, for the watch gonna, with the sensor and the watch without. I was going to bring that up. So if something happened with this, I did not buy Apple Care with it, by the way, but if something happened with this within the warranty period, if I went back to Apple, I would not get one with the blood oxygen Correct. sensor in it. Apple stopped selling these direct on their website in early December. I did buy this from Best Buy, did not get it from Apple. And I knew uh, we were like one day away from somebody making a determination to pull everything from the shelves. And I'm like, if I don't buy one now, I don't know when I'm going to get one. So there was a scarcity issue at the time. Like if I go another six months and my Apple watch six com battery completely goes, I'm just going to want a new one. And I wouldn't have been able to do it at the time. Right. So I guess from a scarcity perspective, it was a sales point for me and which, which is why I bought it. But also my screen was slightly scratched. I just wanted to, to revise certain things with it.
So this is just something I think we should keep an eye on because it's going to be interesting to see what precedent gets established here because I'm sure there'll be other, not just Apple, but other companies that deal with patent disputes on some of the things that are on devices like this because I think from a consumer perspective, if I bought this and you take the capability away from me after I've bought something, I either want to be able to return it or be compensated in some way, shape, or form because you've degraded the experience that I purposely bought to be able to do things. So I think they need to figure out if they go that route, how the customer is then compensated. And this isn't me trying to go get a money grab. This (laughs) is me being like, no, this is legit. You took capabilities away from me on something I bought. Yeah, that's my wife has been um, eyeballing up a Apple Watch here, and uh, she's been wanting to get one since uh, it was rumored that the nine was going to come out. So she waited, we're waiting on that, and then it came out, and then was just sort of waiting to decide on a couple things, and then uh, yeah, this this story came out, and so the decision she made was to wait because she doesn't want to get in the situation where where they're no longer available and no longer supported or something because of the feature or you know a feature could get removed so she decided to do a a wait and see thing and i, I yeah it's it's a shame because she's rocking a versa 3 right now and she really wants to get a get a new smart uh, a new watch with the fitness capabilities so well the SE was not affected because it did not have this specific blood oxygen sensor on board. And as far as the rest of the fitness stuff, it's still the same. It's only the blood oxygen sensor, which is affected. And I don't think that affects the reporting from the workouts and the exercise, but I could be mistaken about that. But that's one of the features she was looking for. Okay. Okay. And for the video viewers uh, that are seeing this right now and the audio viewers, I uh, am weirdly looking down at the corner of my screen because if you don't know this, I use a Rodecaster Pro OG original to record and my screen was twitching on it right now. It was literally kind of twitching side to side. So I was trying to capture video. I got it a couple times uh, before it stopped doing it, but it was doing it consistently. So uh check out the discord i'll post that in there when i'm all when i'm yes, all in there and I'll, cool. I'll show you show you that afterwards uh i think i i got one i think i i think i got two two twitches and then it stopped but it was doing it for a little bit uh the last thing that i just want to say here right now is thanks everybody for coming back to watch us this year we really are, are looking forward to the rest of the year gonna continue on doing the once a month thing for now see how that all works out uh we will always post the date when we know it, uh, we'll try to get a, uh, a rough schedule together, but well, probably won't be a, for a bit till we get that all going, but we'll try to do once a month. So thanks everybody who came to our live chat. I know we got quite a few people in there. Greatly appreciate that. The live chat makes this a lot more fun. As much as I enjoy podcasting with Chris and SP, the live chat does make it a lot more fun, especially because a lot of people heckle me and that is the most fun of it all. Rabble, 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 rabble. <laughs> Chad is definitely way better than Chris or Steven. So thanks, guys. <laughs> and hey, if you got anything you want to chat about geeky wise, come on over to our Discord. That's gunnageek.com slash Discord. And check out all the other awesome podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network. There's a lot of awesome geeky content on there, including Legends of Shield, where you can find SP and his co-hosts, and also All Things Gun Nerdy, where you can find Chris and his co-hosts. Check that all out at gunnageek.com. And uh, have fun chatting in the Discord. Is there anything that either of you would like to say before we go today, SP? Yeah, for those of you, we were talking about Robin Williams before. And for those of you that like Robin Williams, 
I was a guest on a podcast called Wait You Haven't Seen, where Travis, who's the main host over there, gets together with somebody else and you review one movie that one or the other or both of you haven't seen. And in this case, we reviewed Bicentennial Man. If you're watching Foundation right now, you might have an Isaac Asimov twinge to you. And yes, uh, Bicentennial Man was based on an Isaac Asimov a book called, or novella, I guess it's what it's called, called, called Positronic Man. And uh, that will be available as we record tomorrow, the 17th of January, over at Wait You Haven't Seen. Chris, anything you'd like to say? This is me on my soapbox. It's absolutely criminal that Better Call Saul, and specifically Rhea Seahorn, never won an Emmy Award for anything for the entire run of that show, which is amazing. They should be ashamed of themselves. Rhea Seahorn should have won a Best Actress thing multiple times because she absolutely crushed it in a show that is arguably one of the best shows I've ever watched on television. I agree. Um, I actually just re-watched Better Call Saul because a, a few months ago I, re- I re-watched um, Breaking Bad. I, I have to admit, um, when I finished Better Call Saul, I was sitting there going... You know, I think there's a strong case to be made that uh, this is this is a better show than than Breaking Bad from start to finish. However, on rewatch, I don't personally agree with that, but I, I do think there's probably people out there who believe that. But I think from especially from a bingeability perspective, like, you know, watchability from beginning to end. Uh, the landing, I don't think does get stuck. I get why they did it in Better Call Saul. It's it's it continues to be a hard left turn at the end of Better Call Saul. I really slogged. To they get did through NASCAR those last... there. Yeah, exactly. They because okay. there was a NASCAR <laughs> scene and everything. Um, but no, I I think from start to finish, Breaking Bad is is still more cohesive than Better Call Saul. But Better Call Saul just like I enjoyed every every almost every episode. The last series, the last few. They still like on rewatch. I don't feel as good as about them as I did when I first watched them. There was a stat I saw and I'm probably I don't remember it exactly. It was something like it's been nominated 53 or 50 plus times and has zero wins. That's criminal. Yeah. And I That's was thinking criminal. We brought this uh, <laughs> Ray Seahorn thing up a few times. Is that how you say your name? Yep. Rhea Seahorn, I believe. Yeah. We brought that up a few times on here and there were several scenes in my rewatch where I'm just like, Bam there, bam there, bam mm-hmm. there. Just I can't believe that they 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 snubbed her all those years. So yeah, no, yeah. I agree with you. I'm off my soapbox now. But since it was just Emmy Award season, it was worth bringing up. I, I am glad you did. <laughs> Emmy Award, quote unquote, season. <laughs> but that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. So for episode number 408, of the Gonna Geek Show. I'm Steven saying apparently it's still okay for them to import the Apple Watch, but back in episode 345, we talked about them banning the OnePlus Buds from being imported. And I hope everybody comes back next time. If you have a subject that you want to hear us cover, please let us know in our Discord at gunnageek.com slash Discord. I'm, a, I'm AI Chris saying I hope everyone has a good <laughs> banana. Thanks, everybody, for coming back today. Bye. 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 Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. 
You can always join us for our live recording sessions at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next show. 